I don't know who put this on my desk. Somebody printed something from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 and stuck it on my desk. It says, just think, you're here not by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. Sometimes you're loud and sometimes you're quiet. <laughs> he compares you to no one else. You're one of a kind. You lack nothing that His grace can't give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill His special purpose for this generation. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. Almost reminds me of whenever I play a game of golf. It doesn't matter where the ball goes, how long, how crooked, whatever. On some hole, on some golf course, somewhere in this universe, it was the perfect shot. <laughs> I have never been on the right hole at the right time. But if that same shot was on some other hole, it would have probably been just right. Well, anyway, I want to continue a little bit about some of the things I was talking about this morning. They were just simply questions that I had in my mind. And I didn't get all the answers that I wanted, and I'm still not sure I'm satisfied with all the answers even today. But you know, you've got to have a reason why you do what you do. And I've always thought that whatever my reasons were for certain, the Lord might be good enough for somebody else. I tried to saturate my mind with the Word of God so that I would at least know what God was saying, and then look for those little clues in there that would really help me, and trying to answer some of the things. Now, I don't know if you thought about some of these same questions that I asked like this morning, or some of the ones that we'll look at tonight, but maybe I can stir up your, your mind just a little bit to try to think about some of these things that are important, because I believe some of the answers to these questions is why I keep serving the Lord. You know, so many people, they start off like a, a lightning bolt, but they don't maintain the walk with the Lord. And there's quite a few scriptures talk about maintaining, maintaining. It's one thing to start something, but can you finish? And as Paul would say over and over again, I want to finish my race, finish my course with joy. I don't want to finish a grumpy, gripey old man, but to serve the Lord and enjoy serving the Lord. And that I do. That's why I always tell people, look, rejoice in the Lord because it's right. Rejoice in the Lord because God isn't dead. He's alive. And as we studied this morning in Sunday school about Joseph, look at all the things that happened to him. And he didn't plan any of it. And it, he could say, look what went wrong. And he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. And all those things that happened to him. And yet it says God was with him. God was with him. And later on, the 105th Psalm, it says God sent him. But Lord, couldn't you maybe give him a bus ride or a train? But look how he brought him down in Egypt. Well, he got a camel ride out of it through the Ishmaelites. But here in the, uh, the question that I have for you, and go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of John, the Gospel of John in chapter 15. John chapter 15. And the question is, number 13, is since you have been saved, could you have led one more person to the Lord than you have? Just answer that yourself. What do you think? Could you have led one more to the Lord? Um, whoever that person might have been or could have been, is it uh, somebody that uh, 
Maybe you were their only hope. Nobody else would have ever talked to that person. I would sit by the hours. Sometimes I'd even close the door to my office, turn off the lights. I'd sit there in the dark, and I would try to picture myself in hell. And here I am in hell, knowing that I'll never get out. And I would wonder, why didn't somebody tell me? Or if somebody did tell me, why didn't I believe it? And I'd go over these things in my mind because I wanted to try to think the way they will think when they're there. And then I always try to project myself into the future as though I was standing at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to reward you for what you've done. And as Paul says, ye are my crown of rejoicing. You that I've led to the Lord, you are my reward. When I get there and I see you, and I think, is there going to be some people that I'm not going to see, but they could have been there if I'd have only, if I'd have only. And I remember hearing a Sunday school teacher, a man by the name of Don Jackson, he spoke a Sunday school class one time called the If I'd have Only Club. The If I'd have Only Club. You know, those people that, well, if I'd have only done this, if I'd have only, if I'd have only. And I don't want to be a member of that club. I want to go ahead and just do it. But you've got to learn how to think. And even though you don't have all the answers, I knew there were certain basic things that God put in his word. And I guess it boils down to this. If I didn't understand any of it, I didn't understand predestination, foreknowledge, nothing at all. I would still want to win people to Christ and tell them about the Lord. Just because I enjoy telling people about the Lord. And I know that there's people that have listened, understood, and they trust Christ as their Savior. If I had no answers to anything else. But there are questions that I had. So I'm going to do it until I learn the answers. Not, well, when I get all the answers, then I'll, no, no, no. So number one, could I have led maybe one more to the Lord? What I want you to do is look there in John 15 for this reason. He says in John 15 in verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Well, you know, if God's the one that determines if I have any fruit or not, why blame the branch? Why take it away? What, wait a minute. Is it the branch's fault? I mean, most people, they would just read it. <laughs> I can't just read it. I got to try to figure now, what if, what if, this, this, this. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, and every branch that beareth fruit, well, what determines whether the branch bears fruit or doesn't bear fruit? Is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit's fault? Is it the branch? And then he makes the statement, every branch in me, every branch that abideth in me, if you see that down in verse 5, he that abideth in me. So I guess if I am his child and I abide in him, then there should be something that comes from my life. But you'll notice what he talks about, that it may bring forth more fruit. In the last part of verse 2. And then he goes down to verse 5 and he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. If a man abide not in me. So that means that you can be a child of God and abide in him. And you can be a child of God and not abide in him. We also read that in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. My little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So abiding in him... And not abiding in him makes a difference of whether you have fruit or no fruit. And then it makes a difference whether you have more fruit 
or much fruit? What determines that? Is it the vine or is it the branch abiding? Is it something that we can control? I don't have all the answers, but I believe that some people can have a lot of fruit and some people not have as much fruit and some people have a whole bunch of fruit and at the same time to realize, is it talking about the people that you could win to the Lord? Is this fruit here talking about reproducing? Or is it talking about the fruit of the Spirit? I don't think it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Christian. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is one thing. The fruit of the Christian is something else. And so I believe that there's something more to this. So is it true that those who go to hell will never have been saved anyway? Well, if they wouldn't have been saved anyway, then there's no guilt on my part. If, and I wrote this question down. This is an additional question. Is it true that those who go to hell would never have been saved anyway? Now, don't answer it out. I want you just to think about it for a second. Is it true that those who go to hell would never have been saved anyway? Because everyone who could be saved and would be saved will be saved and are in heaven. Is that true? Or do we really make a difference? Did you know what you believe about some things makes a difference? Or you can feel guilty or not guilty. I've had people say, Yankee, stop trying to put a guilt trip on people. Stop making the Christians feel so guilty because they don't do what you want them to do. The Lord will take care of that. Okay, I wonder if the Lord feels guilty. What's that? He's using you to do it. Yes. So the, Maybe I have a little guilt when I don't do everything God wants me to do and when I don't witness like I should. But anyway, number 14, if I lead 50 people to the Lord, would they have been saved anyway? And then chapter and verse. If you lead somebody, well, they'd have been saved anyway. Really? How do you know that they would have been saved anyway? If that person that talked to you hadn't talked to you, Oh, you'd have been saved anyway. Well, evidently, you wouldn't have been saved at that moment. How do you know that down the road somebody would have talked to you? How do you know? You don't. What chapter and verse would you use to prove that? You don't have any. I've been through it a couple times, and there's, I'm always looking for little clues here and there. Because I'm trying to understand the mind of God. Why God does what he does. Where does this responsibility lie? And that's why I said this morning, there's God the Father. He had a responsibility, and he sent his son. The son had a responsibility, and he came and died for us. The Holy Spirit has a responsibility. And then we know that God has given to us the message and told us to go preach the gospel to every person. So then that means a person has a responsibility. And that there's a certain amount of light that God gives to every person. And if they follow light, will it lead to light? Will it lead to more truth? And that God can providentially bring things together. A man who wants to hear and a man who wants to tell. And God can have their paths crossed. I've had some of the strangest things happen. I mean really strange. I'll preach a sermon on that. Some of the strangest things that have happened to me. But my whole life has been strange kind of. Turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. I want you to look at this. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul had led some people to Christ there in Ephesus. 
now he's telling them, look, you're probably not going to see my face anymore, and I want to meet with the elders. And so the elders came together, and he kind of rehearsed a few things to them. And uh, it says in verse 26, something I want you to see. Verse 26 says, Wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. I've wondered for a long time, just what does he mean? And how did he get free? How did he get free from the blood of all men? What did it mean? He was responsible for the blood or the life of all men? I could go back to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 3, where he says, I say unto the watchman and so on, you know, you know, if you give him not warning, and I could make a case for that. And maybe it's a connection, but I often wonder when he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All of it. Those are bold statements that I can't make. When he says there in that verse 26, I want you to know I am pure from the blood of all men. Does that mean that nobody can point their finger at Paul and says, you didn't tell me. You didn't even try. Or does it mean that Paul witnessed everybody? I don't know to what extent how one man can say this, but he said it. But maybe I don't understand exactly what he meant. So do we have any other theologians in here that want to shed a little light on this verse? You got the freedom to do so. We have a microphone up here. And just to give a quick thought, anybody at all? It's an important question. I can't say I have the, the total answer. I wished I did. But I do believe that there's something here in this verse that's very important. Now, I want you to also see something in verse 29. Look in verse 29. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. After my departing. Something's going to happen. Does that mean that the Apostle Paul, as long as he was there, made a difference? And without Paul, something's going to change. Do you believe that you make a difference in what people do and don't do? Do you believe in your own mind you matter? You know one of the most hopeless things in the world and what causes such great depression is when you devalue yourself. I have no value. I'm not worth anything. Nobody needs me. Nobody wants me. Poor me. I'm going to go out in the garden and eat worms. And you just feel like your pet rock just died. And no hope whatsoever. You'd be surprised how depressed you can be. But if you looked at you the way God looks at you, and think about what Paul said. He says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better, but more needful for you that I stay here. Somebody needed him. Do you believe people need you? Nobody needs me. Do you believe God needs you? And that you are important. You should believe that because you are. See yourself the way God sees you. And so does it make a difference? Look what he says in verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Watch therefore, 
And remember that for the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Have you come close to that? Night and day warned everyone, my stars. What a man. But how did he end up? Well, they, they chopped off his head. He was doing right and suffered the consequences. When you read some of the things that people did to Paul, and none of those things, he says, move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry, see what it says up there? It says right there in verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's why I'm here. That's why I live. That's my motive. That's my purpose in life. Now, there's a lot of things that Paul knew, a lot of things that he wrote. But behind all of that, he was a gospel-driven man, and it drove him on. Look at number 15. Do you believe that the harvest is ripe and that the labors are few? And if you did believe something like that, what verse would you use? Is there any verse in the Bible that says anything like that? I wonder where it is. Or maybe I just made that up. Maybe I just made it up. It's not even in the Bible. The harvest, is it ripe? The labors are few. Where does it say that in the book of Matthew chapter 9? Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want you to see it. All right. Matthew chapter 9. And you'll notice there in verse 36. Look in verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest. Do you think that if we had more labors, we could get more fruit? What do you think? If we had more labors, you think we could reap more fruit? Isn't that the point of this? Big harvest, few labors. Pray we have more labors, but why? What reason? Get more fruit. Well, wait a minute. If you've already predetermined what fruit's going to be saved anyway, it doesn't matter if you've got any labors. But if it's not true, then it means that God is dependent upon people, the labors to reap a harvest. Now, go all the way over to the book of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John and chapter 4. See, these are simple verses that sometimes we've heard a number of times. But when you put them together and you learn how to think, it can permeate your life. It makes all the rest of it so important because I need those so I can keep doing what God wants me to do. Otherwise, I'll get so easily sidetracked. I'll let the trials of life, the testings, all the persecution, all those things. Well, it doesn't matter. And you just get tired, you quit and so on. But otherwise, you'd be like Paul. It says that the ministry been so important, we faint not. For this cause, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, for this cause, we faint not. It means for this cause, 
we can't quit. And he says, regardless of everything that happened, he says, I can't stop, I can't quit, because it is too important. So here in John chapter 4, I want you to look down there in verse 35. Verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. Why should I, unless God wants me to do something about it? But sometimes we don't want to look and see the lost man. We see everything else. And our own personal problems are so much more important. Did you know that regardless of what problems you as a Christian have, would you rather be a lost man or a saved man with all your problems? The lost man's problem of going to hell is a lot worse than any Christian problem he can ever have. So he makes this statement. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They are white already, already. It's not like, well, one of these days the harvest will get ripe and then we can do it. No, the harvest is already ripe. Then look in verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth what? God pays soul winners. Receives wages. God will pay you to win souls. You see, that's one of the best things that you can ever know is God wants to hire you. And he's willing to pay you. I used to tell the teenagers in ranch, if I offered you $1,000 for every person you wanted to Christ, how many of you would believe that God may be leading you into full-time Christian work? <laughs> if next week you brought to me a person you led to Christ that week, and I would give you $1,000, I would mention to say, every one of you here, if you really believe what I'm saying, you'd find somebody during the week and you'd learn how to talk to them. You'd figure out a way. Don't you think so? It would change your whole life. But you know, just because God doesn't pay me today here, payday is coming. Payday someday. When we get to heaven and we see all those people that we won to Christ, payday is coming. Do you think God is a cheap employer? Do you think he's going to reward you richly? I mean, really, that it's going to be worth it? That God is not poor. He owns everything. And he's going to reward you. And as he says here, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit. It looks like I am the one that's supposed to go and win some harvest and get some fruit, get some product. And God's going to reward me for doing so. And gathereth fruit unto life eternal. See, the fruit we gain lasts forever. This is incorruptible fruit. These are people, once they trust the Lord, have eternal life. And you don't have to win them but one time. Once you lead a person to Christ, it can never be undone. I've never had to win anybody to the Lord twice. Once is enough. Because God gives them eternal life and it lasts forever. Some people I've led to the Lord and I never see again. And then sometimes I'll, I'll lead some people, and it'll be 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, I find people that I've led to Christ. I don't know about many that, you know, that I don't know about because they may trust the Lord because of already your, you know, the TV we had for years. And I'm talking about you can make a big impact and know nothing about it. You remember the other day I sent out a newsletter, and I mentioned this to a couple of y'all, but I think I mentioned it in Sunday school. I wrote that one little thing about Curtis Hudson. It was in the sword this week. And it went 
It goes all the way over the world, around the world. Just a simple statement that I made about Dr. Hudson, but in there I told what Dr. Hudson believed about the gospel. And it was gospel clear. Lord does that. Lord does that. I don't have to explain it all. I can't. But anyway, number 16 here. Do you believe that if we had more labors, we could have harvest more fruit? Well, what do you think? When you read that, doesn't it look like if we had more people in the harvest, we could reap more fruit? And it does make a difference. Take your Bible and look in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, look in verse 14. 14, 15, and 16. But just look at what it says. This is Jesus talking to those uh, religious Pharisees of his day. And of course, his disciples are looking on, but he makes a statement in verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. Seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. Some people can't see, and they won't hear. But look what he says. For this people's heart is waxed gross, dull, fat, heavy, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes, now get this, they have closed. They reject the message, and their eyes they close, so that they cannot see, and they cannot understand so are there people that you can present the gospel to and they refuse to listen to the message? Is that on you or on them? It's on them. They have a responsibility also. But look what else he says. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand. Shouldn't they should. At any time. So it's not fixed in concrete that well, they can't be saved because they weren't chosen. See, the doctrine of Calvinism is impossible to harmonize with the book. When you read and see these things, I can't fathom in my mind, how could anybody believe that God has already chosen who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost? You can't read the Bible and come out with that. But look what else he says. He says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. But if you compare, it's because they want to see, and they want to understand. And there's some people that do not, and never will. 